good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Irvine, California. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Stephen G. Fullwood. I am the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project and the exhibitions coordinator for Marking Time, Art in the Age of Mass Incarceration, which will open at the National um, Underground Railroad Freedom Center in April 2022. Nice. And hi, everyone. I'm Seth Rodney. I am the opinions editor and a senior critic at Hyperallergic, and I'm speaking to you from Newburgh. This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. And today we are going to talk about Judith Butler's review of uh Bari Weiss's How to Fight Anti-Semitism. Uh, Seth corrected me on the how to pronounce her first name at the beginning before we started. Uh, this was actually, this is uh, Seth's um, baby, so I'm going to let him kind of take us into what he was thinking about as far as like the topic and everything, um, if you want to frame it for us and sure. go from there. So I want to say up front, I want to admit to being a little bit petty. Uh, I picked this because I really just wanted to an opportunity to publicly say that I think Barry Weiss is some bullshit. But at the same time, what I found in Judith Butler's very reasoned and considered uh, response to Weiss's book is I found a, a conversation that I think that we should have around uh, anti-Semitism. I was struck by a few things. There's a few things I've, I've uh, passages that I highlighted. But w the first thing I may want to start off with is just talking about how she, Judith Butler quotes Franz Fanon in saying that an attack, uh, 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 anti-Semitism, any attack on a Jew is essentially he saw as an attack on himself. And and this this is part of. Butler's wider argument around um, the notion that anti-Semitism is something that needs to be fought in the name of not identity politics, right, but actually this sort of greater sense of what she calls vital relationality, right? So let me just read um, this, this bit. Uh, the forms of solidarity forged in this way invariably move each of us beyond the confines of identity. In other words, the relations among us are not mere analogies, but living connections, perhaps in the sense that Martin Buber insisted upon when he found spiritual life neither in identity nor in territory, but in vital relationality based on reciprocity. And I think that, you know, that's a lot to chew on. I, I, I appreciate this as a kind of, I don't know, want to, what, almost Zen Cohen. Like, I, this is something I want to really chew on and mull over for a long time. Uh, so, yeah, we can start there. I, I mean, I think, you know, so I don't think Bari Weiss is bullshit. Um, I don't agree with everything that she says. Um, in fact, you know, we had... Uh, it wasn't really on the podcast, but you and I had uh, a discussion about how she reframed the Central Park Karen episode or whatever. Um, and uh, you pointed out that she framed it in a way that kind of unfairly weighted one side and didn't really kind of talk about uh, full context, which I thought after looking at it and looking at the fuller context, I thought your criticism was totally valid and you were correct. Um, and so to me though, that doesn't invalidate Bari Weiss's general experience or her general critique. Um, and I feel like this review, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I thought Judith Butler was very careful in this review, um, and is sort of taking Bari Weiss, you know, taking her argument in how to fight anti-Semitism seriously without letting it spill over into other kind of, um, you know, maybe beefs that she has with, you know, with, with maybe, you know, kind of neoliberal or, uh, I don't know that you would call Barry Weiss a conservative, but, uh, you know, sort of conservative counters to, to these arguments. Oh, so so, oh, Zionist ones, right? Yeah. So she, she mm -hmm, starts mm -hmm. out by basically complimenting 
Kaspari Weiss's yes. mm-hmm. take on the the shooting at the um, the church at yes. the, the beginning S- synagogue 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 right. in Pittsburgh eleven right. Jewish people yes right. yes mm-hmm. thank you right. <laughs> synagogue that's right that's what the Jews call it so that's, um, <laughs> yeah that's yeah, what we all Hill. call it actually not just Jews because <laughs> 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 that's what it's called <laughs> anyhow so um, uh, no 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 I was I was making fun of myself obviously mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's Squirrel Hill at uh, Squirrel Hill so um, and uh, so this the issue of intersectionality I feel like is is something this is the move that I feel is often made. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Travis. When you say this is the move that's often made. And this is where I'm going to, I'm going to explain what I mean by that. And I'm going to explain how I think Judith Butler avoids making that mistake. Okay. Um, So the move that is often made with an argument like intersectionality, Kimberly Crenshaw's, you know, kind of germinal idea, which I think is, is, is an idea that should be contended with and has a lot of sophisticated things to say about the U.S. legal system uh, and should not be glossed. But that idea has been taken up by people to use in a whole bunch of petty reductionist ways. Absolutely. And And then when people counter the petty reductionist ways with the label by 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 criticizing intersectionality the the move that is often made by intellectuals or or pundits is that's not what intersectionality is that's not how that's not how Kimberly Crenshaw like have you read the article well it doesn't actually it it does matter a great deal what Kimberly Crenshaw said but in this context this is not how Kimberly Crenshaw's work is being used. Kimberly, I'm, the intersectionality is not about creating or sort of reass- reassessing and restructuring a racial hierarchy. It's about getting rid of a racial hierarchy altogether, like like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. dismantling it. You know, from soup to nuts, just all gone. And what s- Butler does? Uh, I'm sorry, Stephen. No, go ahead. Say. What Butler does is go ahead. Butler's very careful about this. Butler's like Butler is taking Weiss's argument in, in in this book and saying, "I feel like she doesn't make the next move that she needs to make in order for me to take this seriously." She oh, can. this is what she Butler says. I don't think she can, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let, let me let me hand it off to you, Stephen, and just say I, she's basically saying that Weiss wants to use her argument to reassert the primacy of of Jewish grievance and sort of like the, mm-hmm. the, the grievance that, um, that a Zionist might have about, you know, the threat to Israel and the threat to Jews or whatever. So anyway, that's my, that's my, my initial setup. But Stephen looked like you were. No, I love the way that you set it up. I appreciate that because, and also appreciate that you mentioned Kimberly Crenshaw. However, Kimberly Crenshaw was the one who may have used intersectionality, but she comes from a rich tradition of black feminism that actually gave her that space sure. to do that. And Kimberly Crenshaw is, she um she does that referential work, but typically it's absent. It has gone out into um, the world as and is often conflated with identity politics, the notion sure. of intersectionality and all of that. So I wanted to mention that very briefly. But what I thought was that when how to fight anti-Semitism, the title, this is precisely how I would say you don't do it, meaning that it's Judith Butler's contention that. She starts off with, I think, that that generous reading and also that that a moment where Weiss is actually using that as a jumping off point around strangers, you know, welcome the stranger, keeping the tent open around the Jewish tenant. But that she couldn't when I said earlier when you were talking that she couldn't make that leap was that this is the easy way to stay within um, a particular space when it comes to not when it comes to. Stopping the conversation about criticizing Israel. Mm. Mm. That I think is really, really critical that if, and and we'll think about something I mentioned to you before, if someone, if you love something, you critique it. If you want to grow, you have to have some different versions of what had happened, what happened here from different points of view. If you can't Mm -hmm. tolerate these kinds of things, you become Mm -hmm. stale. And -hmm. I was walking back from the coffee shop thinking is it possible to keep a community cohesive if you can't tolerate criticism? Mm. Is it possible? Do you 
It's so I, I don't know that I in in my experience of of Barry Weiss's writing, I I don't know that it's fair to say mm-hmm. that she can't tolerate any critique of Israel. I think what she's doing here with Butler's uh, argument standing, although mm-hmm. I feel like Weiss is doing something different than what than what how Butler frames it, but but mm-hmm. I still think she has a fair critique which is that Weiss is saying there is a double standard with how Israel is criticized. Not that you can't criticize Israel, but that the, that, that the nation itself is held to a different standard than, say, the peak in outrage directed at Saudi Arabia or Qatar or United Arab Emirates or Iran or, you know, a long, 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 long list of oppressive regimes that are aggressive to a variety of minorities that live within their borders. Well, I don't know that. Mm. I, so I don't know a, a ton about Barry Weiss's time at Columbia, but I've heard this or read whips of this story about how she complained to school authorities about particular, um, I think it was Arab or Arab American professors on campus who she claimed was making, essentially constructing a discursive hostile environment because they were saying things that were interpreted as being pro-Palestine and for Palestinian mm-hmm. liberation. Um, so, and, and, and Judith Butler mentions this in the piece that mm-hmm. uh, upon review, those accusations were, compl- were found to be completely unfounded. But uh, review by the university. Yeah, I yeah, mean, no. like, I mean, I think, and I want you to, I'm, I'm, please finish, but I'm just, it's, that doesn't make it dispositive because the university protected professors' positions. I, I, I don't know anything about the situation, so I'm not I'm not going to say no. That's not what Barry Weiss did. I don't know what Barry Weiss did. Maybe she sucked at the, in this moment. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But but that but the way that F- Butler frames it is quite dismissive. And I do have an anecdote about that after you finish. Well. I, I, I don't know how you can be not dismissive when, I mean, and I don't know if, they, if she's quoting from a report or quoting from uh, a, a press release, but mm-hmm. Weiss's arguments were found to be completely without merit. So how do you not be dismissive if that is actually the case? Well, let me let me give let me give my anecdote, and I will. Um and explain why I think that might be possible in this instance. Although I do have to say, I, I think, I, I do think the setup um, is in such a way that it kind of casts a shadow over Weiss in this instance, because, you know, going to the authorities to tell on what the, you know, like what the, uh, someone is doing does seem to be sort of contrary to something that she Believes people, you know, seems to be the opposite of what someone would do in that context, right? It, it doesn't really fit her MO, supposedly. She's mm. trying to suppress the idea is that she's trying to suppress the speech of these professors or whatever. But I will say so, obviously, um, I, I don't know if she's going to be irritated that I'm doing this, but I'm going to do this. So, my wife obviously went to Columbia, uh, Molly. And um, early on when we were dating, I have always, so I've I've always identified very strongly. Uh, I mean, recently that shifted somewhat, uh, so, somewhat because of uh, the way certain uh, the way politics has moved in the United States. But I've always identified very strongly with uh, liberal positions and, li- and liberal um, goals. But one thing that I have always felt since I was uh, really since I started graduate school is that there is an absolute double standard when it comes to Israel. Um, absolutely. I, I think, and, and we, this isn't what the podcast is about, but I think that there is definitely, um, there are, there are two yard, there are two very different yardsticks that intellectuals will use when measuring, um, international politics. And this is something that Molly and I bonded over when we first started dating, because she said to me, she said, when, when I was at Columbia, you couldn't, she said, even though everyone, and this was before Columbia had substantial financial aid, right? So th- there were years when the, we should, we should remember there were years when the Ivy Leagues like were absolutely terrible with financial aid. Like you basically couldn't get financial aid, even if you could not afford to go there. You had to take out loans, et cetera. So Molly was at Columbia 
long before the Ivy Leagues had reformed their finances in that way to, to the better, which I think is a good thing. But you know, surrounded by Jews, second generation uh, Jews, Holocaust survivors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she said, you couldn't say a good word about Israel at that time when she was at Columbia without absolutely being eviscerated by her classmates and her professors. That the way that it was framed on the campus was just this, this disdain for the nation of Israel. Interesting. Now, what year is this? Now, and, and this, uh, well, so Molly's 37, so mm-hmm. um, like 16 years ago. I'm kind of bad at this. So early, early aughts, I guess. Okay. Yeah, so early, early aughts. That's, um, su- that's surprising. And, that is surprising. Yeah, and, so, yeah. so here's the thing. To me, it's, I mean, it's really, it's not surprising to me because I, mm-hmm. I have heard my whole, my whole graduate career endless criticism of Israel. You would think that Israel were like the boogeyman of international politics. Like, I don't think people understand how ugly so many governments are in the world. And on top of that, what it would be, if I were to set up a situation, like let's say you and your neighbor. So Seth, like you, your your neighbor, whoever's across the hall from you or downstairs from you. Mm-hmm didn't fucking want you to live there. Said like, you shouldn't live in this apartment. I don't think you should exist. In fact, I would prefer if you were dead, but if you can't die, under no circumstance can you live there. And all of your other neighbors that were around you said, why can't you guys just sit down and work it out? And your downstairs neighbor is like, I don't fucking want him to live there. There's nothing to, for, to work right. out. Mm-hmm. Well, in that, in that scenario, you are the state of Israel and the international community. Now, you may you may object to the simplification of the framing, a historical framing. Okay, a a historical, n- not because the leader of Hamas was founded by an and not a a German Nazi expat. Like the, the children in schools in that region of the world are are literally in the textbooks shown pictures of Jews with enormous noses and like they eat children and stuff like that. This is not made up. I'm not making this up. This right. is not like th- this. This is actually what has happened historically in that region of the world, and I am not suggesting that Israel is without blame or that Israel should not be held accountable for its actions. I, I mean, it's so ugly to see the things that are done to the Palestinian. Uh, People, you know, their homes destroyed, bombs, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. aggressive, ag- aggressive uh, Jewish settlements. I am opposed to all of that stuff, right? I have no problem criticizing uh, 21st century Israeli expander politics or uh, settler politics, settler politics. I have no problem criticizing that. I am totally opposed to that. Yet to not frame it in 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 the way that acknowledges that that Israel has and and yes the the establishment of the Jewish uh, of Israel and the Jewish state post World War II definitely was it was um, was an injury to the people that were living there at that time absolutely true I don't I'm not saying that that shouldn't be the I'm not saying that we should ignore that I'm not saying that the Palestinian people don't have a legitimate grievance and that there isn't that they shouldn't be at the table and shouldn't be considered that's not what I'm saying what I'm saying is that. The criticism and the intensity of the disdain for Israeli politics and Zionism is disproportionate. And and I want to and Weiss and Weiss is sensitive to that. And I want to counter that was super long. I appreciate it. And I do want to counter that by saying one, I don't know that much about the very convoluted politics that uh, involve um, the creation of the Jewish state and the dispossession of, as Butler quotes in this piece, 700,000 Palestinians. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, in fact, I, I make a point of kind of staying away from the debate because I think that I don't know enough and I feel like people are so impassioned on the many sides of the debate. They're not two sides. Let me make that mm-hmm. clear. But many sides of the, of the debate, right? Um, there are activists in Israel who vociferously protest um, the Zionist tendencies of the past few governments. 
But I want to say this. In, in the art scene, I know this from talking to people in the art scene, um, including my boss, um, that it, there is also a serious risk in taking a pro-Palestinian stance in terms of uh, curatorial choices or um, things, things that are said uh, 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 public publicly um, about shows or about artists like people actually do pay a price in the art scene for mm-hmm. being outspokenly uh, on uh, uh, advocates for Palestinian um, um, repatriation um, repatriation of Palestinian lost mm-hmm. territory and homes so mm-hmm. there's another side to this too is what I'm saying well, I believe I believe that absolutely there, probably, and, there I mean, are many sides assume- to it Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. and I assume the the implication being that the, the the amount of money that's in the art scene, basically, your work is not going to be shown or purchased if if the Jewish community catches wind of too much. Like I I, I absolutely believe that completely. It, obviously, gross simplifications happen all around. I I feel like what Weiss is pushing back against is a legitimate, if lower order, aspect of that. Butler is talking about this from another level. Honestly, she's talking Wait, about t- it. Talking about oh, what? Sorry, when you say it, talking about oh, what's I'm, it? No, no, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Is talking about Zionism and Jewish identity, you know, sort of vis-a-vis like kind of like grievance or right. whatever. Right. Uh, grievance against, you know, contemporary political uh, judgments. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Butler's critique is is honestly a, a long. I mean, and she says this. This is a she comes out of a Jewish critique, and this has been a long ongoing critique. Yes. As mm-hmm. you pointed out, there's there's lots of of um, Israelis who are opposed to uh, to contemporary Israeli politics, mm-hmm. in, at least in, in in its posture towards Palestinian <sighs> yeah. statehood. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Millions, millions, um, and and a lot of these critiques are based in um, in a Jewish in a Jewish ethic, as you know, kind of the the outcast tribe for for most of of world history, and mm-hmm. and identifying with the plight and pain of the of Palestinians. So, on one hand, I entirely agree with Butler's take on this. I, I not having read Weiss's book. Mm-hmm. I, it's easy for me to imagine that this critique is valid and her examples are solid. And I think she probably gives Weiss the best version of her argument. She seems to do that. So I'm, I, I'm with that. I think Weiss, though, is, is trying to combat something that is also equally real, which is in today, and that has not always been the case, but today, uh, a simplified critique of... of Israel um, and anti-Zionism is alive and well in in contemporary discourse. But I also think, sorry, go ahead, Stephen. I've been talking. I'm just thinking that Weiss could do what I think Judith Butler is asking for, which is a more. It doesn't exclude what Weiss is saying or trying mm. to explain, and that sensitivity that you were speaking about in the larger um, argument you made earlier, and the it made me feel. I, th- I think that. You can have it all. You can have a nuanced critique. You can have all of these sides. And I felt mm-hmm. like if, again, on neither, neither, n- not un- none of us have read the book. I felt like so something you said earlier that I wanted to tap on. It was like, so this is a quote from the article. Weiss makes it clear that there can be criticisms of Israel that are legitimate, but only if they take the form of demanding Israel live up to its higher ideals. Under such conditions, we are barely permitted to ask the more fundamental question. What political form would lead to the flourishing of all the people who now lay claim to that land? Which is something right. that I think includes right. Weiss. It doesn't exclude right. what she's saying about the sensitivity and bringing that up as an mm-hmm. issue around right. the um, the claims that she's putting out. But it, that's what earlier on I said she couldn't make that leap just yet. And who, I was who's, she, who's she? You mean Bari? Twice. Right, Bari right, couldn't. Yeah. Right. And, and and I don't have enough information to say whether that's true or not. But that was my feeling. I was like, because right. then right. it may have been included in that book, because right. then you have a more nuanced take on it. And also, if you issue your own vulnerabilities around these other sides of it, you know, you don't mm-hmm. where, where you may not feel comfortable with the shifting or 
not even the shifting, but the criticisms that are lobbied at Israel and you feel not comfortable, you feel like you need to stand up and say, yes, but this is the only way you can criticize it. That's not a fair player to me. Mm-hmm. And you need to be more fair. And that's uh, what I took from this. And and I think there's, there's another side to uh, Butler's critique of, of Weiss, which is that, and she says here, some of us have, in, have countered that an actual rise in anti-Semitism is obscured when views critical of Israel are mistaken. Yes. Yes. Mistakenly taken to be the paradigmatic form of anti-Semitism. Yes. So what she's, what Butler's also saying is like, here's, so here's your mistake, Barry. You're saying that the paradigmatic form of anti-Semitism is this critique of Israel. And it's like, and she's like saying, no, it's not. Yeah. I, I agree with both of those things. And I mean, um, my, sort of my add on to that is Butler a little bit later down in the article says, you know, two things, two things can be true at once. Mm-hmm. Weiss reminds More us. More things. Yes. yes. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is, she's saying this in response to, you know, Ilhan Omar has said things that are anti-Semitic uh, yet. It, and so Butler's it's like, okay, but that doesn't therefore mean that we can't also at the same time, we can acknowledge that that is, a problem and acknowledge that there's a real grievance here on the, on the, but because of the plight of the Palestinian people. No, yeah. absolutely. And I felt like, so it seemed to, Butler seemed to, she's, she's almost not almost there, but she's mentioning these things. She's done some work. She's um, Weiss has done some work with the, the, um, the, with the critique of the um, 11 Jewish people who were killed in Pittsburgh, but also in, in the ill, Elhan Omar critique, but couldn't move outside of a particular space with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's and that's just yeah. one book, and that's 2019. So who's to say what Weiss thinks now? I don't know. Mm. Yeah. But that, well, but it's but, well, that's the thing, Stephen. It's like when we had that off the record conversation when we were th- when we passing around um, critiques from um, from Bari Bari's what 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 side is she on? Is she what what is that? Think Substack, her Substack thing, mm-hmm. right? Her right, Substack, right. Mm-hmm. right? Her Substack um, conversation with the woman who used to be in that crazy church, the one that used to protest. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. What the woman used <laughs> to be in Westboro, Westboro Baptist, <laughs> right? Right. Mm-hmm. They, she had her on on her, uh, uh, on. I guess either like her radio show or, or something, but it was turned into a. They had a conversation which was turned into a Substack article, which basically mm-hmm. took issue with the ways that. The Central Park, um, Karen situation with the Michael Cooper, who was like asking this woman to leash her dog. She wouldn't leash a dog, blah, right. blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then she like tried to call the cops on him. Um, uh, you know, which can be read as, as essentially trying to get him injured or killed. Um, you know, poor white woman in distress. Oh my God. Come, come help me. Black man is on the attack on the prowl kind of thing. Yeah, it's a trope. But, but, and, and then, but her, go ahead. I mean, you were, I mean, to, well, l- let me let you finish because the, the, the thing that I say will be, hey, let me, let me see where you're going with it. My point was that, and I know that it's, it's a long way around the barn for the listeners, um, that Bari took up this position vis-a-vis that situation to basically say, we've been reading this wrong and maybe in some ways Michael Cooper was the aggressor. And, uh, we've been, have been unfair to this person, this Karen. And, uh, we, we didn't take her plight seriously. And then we did some, you know, we did some digging. You said, oh, the, you said, Travis, like there may be something to this. And we, we, maybe we've been reading this wrong. Mm-hmm. And then we did some digging and found out that a lot of the claims that, again, I don't remember the name of the woman from Westboro Baptist, but a lot of the claims that she was making in this Substack article were mistaken or exaggerated. So that that's not my recollection of it. Mm-hmm. I, I do my recollection of it is that I I was in fact wrong, but for a different reason. Mm-hmm. The the claims were not incorrect. Weiss's framing of those claims again kind of did what Butler is accusing her of. So you had sent me the the counter to this that kind of like looked at all of the the various aspects of of this encounter. He was an aggressor in that situation. He was not just sort of whistling Dixie, walking his dog down. Like, it, it, I mean, he had lured her dog away 
you know, carrying these treats around. Like he had been, other people in the park had talked about the aggressive way that he approaches people. He's a physically imposing figure, not because he's black, but because he's like 6'2", and this woman is like 5'4". This is, this is, a this is an aspect of human interactions that, you know, is as old as the species. Men are more physically imposing on average than women are, and women often feel under physical threat, regardless of the situation. So those things were all true. What was what I felt like Weiss had done, and I thought you successfully proved in that moment, was that she didn't make the next move. Like those things can all be true. And this woman was using a racial pretext to potentially cause injury or threat to this person. Like he, she was absolutely using the lever at hand, which is an aggressive police force against black men yeah. and using that leverage to, 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 to gain some power or advantage in that situation. That was the move that Weiss couldn't make and, and was not capable of making. Um, Intellect and intellectually. Were, and maybe, yeah. And, yeah, and I, ethically. So I, yeah. So I, you, your, your shiv is sharper than mine. I don't know that. I don't know her, and so I'm reluctant to say that about her. You might be right. I'm not saying you're not, but to me, like I, I, I feel like, and I'm going to reach for an analogy, and, and feel free to take it apart if you don't feel like it, if it's accurate. I feel like Weiss is, in some sense, a boxer in this instance. Like she is reaching into, she is combating these ideas at the level at which these ideas are contested. And we are often critiquing the game of boxing. And so that's fine. We should be critiquing the game of boxing. Like it's brutal. Uh, the, the combatants come out with brain damage. It hurts everyone involved. A few people get rich off of it. All of these people in the, in the crowd like sort of enjoy the blood sport. Mm. But what Weiss is doing is actually, so like the mistakes that you mark out that she makes are mistakes that the other side does equally all the time. But, but it doesn't that. cause the same emotional, it doesn't okay. cause the same emotional rejection. I'm not saying that we can't critique both. I'm agreeing with you. I think Butler's critique of Weiss is valid, but I don't know that that's what Weiss's game is. And I think that her game is legitimate. So my counter to that is that if we're going to continue with the you're boxing like, analogy, like, I don't even like boxing. No, no, no. I actually think that we can we can stay with that. Is but I would okay. I would venture I would dare say that the problem I have with Vice as an intellectual as a public intellectual because mm -hmm. that is what she is is that mm -hmm. if we are boxing, she's not boxing. She's kickboxing or she's doing something else because. If if you are to show up right into, with with some intellectual integrity, she should be in that instance recognizing that, or she should in that instance recognize that the problem wasn't caused by Michael Cooper being quote unquote the aggressor. The problem was caused by Michael Cooper actually being in the park to watch birds. He encountered this woman with a dog. So I want to just paint this picture for the listeners. He may be physically imposing, but, and I don't know what breed of dog she had, and he may not even been a, a particularly aggressive one or whatever, but the dog equalizes, I think, in a lot of those instances, the threat, uh, 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 I know, I know. Balance. And he was like, he was like a German Shepherd or a Doberman. But, or but, 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 but I mean, the point he was. He probably wouldn't have entreated the, a Doberman with liver snaps. But, but, I doubt but, that would have been the. No, but, but, the, but the issue, but, but the issue was, she didn't leash the dog when she should have. Now, he asked her so kindly I, to leash the dog. She didn't. So but that was Seth, the problem. You fra you're framing. You're already twisting the frame. You're already twisting the frame. Like what was the problem he, then? He, he, well, you just said kindly. You just said he was out bird watching. He was, but he was. Of, but, but yeah, but but bird watching itself could is not necessarily an inert activity if you're an asshole. 
you might be you might be a kind person bird watching and in which case your bird watching is inoffensive and you might be a massive dick bird watching like bird watching itself is a neutral activity that doesn't describe anything about the individual fair enough but the point is that he wasn't there like whatever he wasn't there doing something that someone could reasonably describe as being aggressive he asked this but woman but there were facts but but, but he asked but, him, but, but <laughs> No, but, and we can go back to the, maybe we can do this on the note, like, and go back and look at, because we're, mm. we're changing the nature of the notes. That mm-hmm. were that was not the fact pattern that was established, even though Weiss was, even though Weiss's framing of it was unfair, which I acknowledge, and I'm, I'm with you on that. The fact pattern was that this, that this was a pattern for him. He's a known quantity in that portion of the park. And I will say this, if you own a dog and a stranger is enticing your dog with treats, people feel often, it is not uncommon for someone to feel like it's like enticing someone's kid with candy. But but the thing was, he only did that because she refused to release the dog. Okay, that's fine. I'm not saying that that's not, but if you, if you are, I think if I, and now in this part, my memory is a little bit hazy, we'd have to go back and look at it. I believe that it's not uncommon for dogs to be unleashed. And so... Not in that part of the park. That's the point. Like, in that part of the park, one, she was legally obligated to leash a dog. Like, so... I so, know, but so that, she, I mean, but that doesn't really matter. It matters but it, but it does. The, no, no, it, but it does. But it does. Like, if I'm... legal? Is it legal to jaywalk? It's not. But people do it all the time. Fair I don't enough, really care. Like the, the, but, but, if I'm, but I'm putting myself in his shoes. I'm like, if I'm walking through the park and I see a dog off leash and I don't know what that dog is about, doesn't kind of doesn't matter to me what breed the dog is. And I say to the woman, please leash your dog. And she refuses. And then he goes and he, and he offers treats to the dog in order to mitigate that situation or ameliorate that situation. That's not, that's not being an aggressor. I, I feel like, I feel like you're not hearing what I'm saying. Okay. I, I, the way that you're framing it, okay. of course I'm on your side of it. What I'm saying is that you are framing him in a totally polite, like unimposing, genteel way. And the counter framing is that that was not the nature of the encounter. That in fact, it was much more heated than that. It went on for a while and that it was not unreasonable for this woman to feel phys- physically threatened by another man, regardless of what his race was. Now, I, I, I don't. I feel like it might get boring if we go back and forth like this. And I'm happy to talk with you about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I think Stephen's falling asleep. So, like, like <laughs> I just, I don't really, I don't have a, I don't really have, I don't have a, a, a bone in this fight. Like, I don't, I don't care about her or him. All, my only point, my only point is that like, like Israel, I feel like we are holding Weiss to a different standard than we hold all of the other people, all of the other pundits who might be on our side of things. I think Butler's critique is totally valid. Again, I think absolutely mm. it sounds like she has correctly uh, called out a deficiency in Weiss's argument, mm-hmm. but a couple of deficiencies. Scrutiny, yeah, yeah, a couple of deficiencies. Right. So, but the scrutiny that we are directing at that position mm-hmm. is not the, as as her posture, her political posture, is not the same level of scrutiny that we are directing to other, like instant, like to the Palestinian people. We're t- keeping it in this in this discussion, Palestinian or the the dog walker. So no, so so let's 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 get down to brass tacks then. So, who have we discussed on this podcast that we've given an easy ride to? Like who have we not? Who have we like? When have I pulled back on scrutiny of a particular person that we've had on a discussion? No, no, we just don't talk about it. Okay, so like we didn't. So I'll I'll give you I'll give you an easy example to to Kate to keep it closer to home, so I can mm. be specific about it. Mm. We haven't in this framing of the Weiss thing and the dog walking incident, right? Which is not really you know not how we started out with the podcast, and, and but it, which is fine. Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. not talked about the other news, the hyperventilating news coverage of this incident, like at all. We haven't talked about like the the endless stories and reams of pixels that were about this 
this encounter in the park. We haven't talked about the lack of investigative reporting that went in to contextualize this incident, right? None of that none of that's been discussed. None of that has raised your peak or Stephen's peak. I don't know if, if, if Stephen cares about that either, but those are all valid avenues. Like you guys live in the, on the same planet I do, right? Mm-hmm. You have contested interactions with human beings all the time. Someone's standing, standing too close to you in the subway. You don't like the way that sandwich was made, like that counter encounter, like someone gives you an eye, like they bump into you. Like, it's we live in a contested space. Mm-hmm. No contested space can be so easily characterized at, and boiled down to racial animosity or white uh, um, uh, or structural racism or this, that, or the other thing. Everything is more complicated than that. Absolutely everything. I know you would agree with that. I, I know that there's nothing to argue with there. I know you. I know you believe that. Yeah, but the, but that's I, that was precisely my problem with Barry. Why is this that she boils things down to some rather simple analogies and some rather simple binaries too? I mean, this is this is precisely what Judith Butler has pointed out, and this is my problem with her as a public intellectual is that because she does that, because she boils things down to these rather simplistic takes. I feel like she's not trustworthy. Okay, so Seth, mm. I, I'm with you. I agree. What I'm saying is that the same scrutiny and suspicion is not cast on those people who confirm your own biases. Like who? Like we need to be specific. I don't think we should do this. Yeah, you're going around the track way a lot. This is the seventh time. (laughs) You're talking about two different things, I I think. And you're asking each other for... Things that I honestly feel like will be better suited for another podcast in the sense that you can bring these ideas up. So Mm, the scrutiny that we would put upon someone that we already confirms our bias, it's coming. I can feel it. <laughs> okay, then, then let's do that. Let's do <laughs> that. Let's start. Like who like yeah, no. I want I want to get down to I wanna get down to the nitty-gritty. I wanna like have someone who like who like who, who Imani Perry, um um Tony um, Morrison, Tony K. Bombard, people that I love, that I you know, that I follow. I feel let's like do it. let's do yeah, it. I here I, but here's the thing I like about the organic part of it. Mm. Meaning that we are talking about an issue or a subject, and this could be this could be the very space that you guys are doing with Weiss. You know, you feel like that she's not a fair player, and Seth. I, I mean, Travis is in the outfield going, but look at the field. Mm. Where is the same criticism for the? Which is one of your ongoing criticisms, mm-hmm. Travis, mm-hmm. in a number of Absolutely. ways. It's an ongoing criticism, and yep. I think it's a I think it's a good criticism. But then there are times when I feel like that kind of criticism. Um, gives Weiss or other people like that a pass. And I know that's not mm. what you're doing, but I'm mm. like, here's what's happening here with mm. this thing here. In this bout, yeah. Right. In this particular thing. And so therefore, and like I said, I know you're not doing that because I listen to you very carefully, but mm. I feel like we can hold her accountable for what she is trying to do, mm. what we think she's trying to do anyway. And I said, and then we're all at a disadvantage because we can read the book, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, but... But I don't know if that makes, I don't, I don't know if we're arguing for the same, I mean, I don't know if the arguments, I know they don't line up because I've been listening to you both for a second. Yeah. It's, it's no. line up. And they're like, yeah, right. no, that's, but tell that's me good. why. Cla- you tell that's me clarity. why. I'm that's, saying, I'm like, oh, good gravy. No, that's, that's clarity. Thank, thank you, Stephen. Yeah. That's super helpful. But, because, I, but these yeah. are good arguments. They're good right. arguments, just that yeah. they're not, yeah. you guys couldn't do a, count, a, a for and a, an against Opinion piece because you're not right. talking about the same thing. No, you know? right. That makes yeah, sense. I think that's absolutely. I think that's absolutely right. I yeah. do think uh, to let me try and and engage with something specific that you just said, Stephen. So uh, you said you, so that is a, a theme that I often return to, which I think mm-hmm. is absolutely fair. Uh, and I do think that there can be weaknesses in that for sure, and and sometimes those weaknesses come out. In this instance, though, talking about this subject mm-hmm. and kind of taking the temperature in 2021, Mm -hmm. I feel it's a little bit like, you know, sort of if, if a parent with two kids and both kids do things wrong equally, Mm. but the parent has a favorite kid. 
mm. and all and and really catches the less favored child doing things wrong. And the parents' response is, don't worry about what that person's doing. Worry about yourself. Why are you doing that? But the parent catches the same kid over and over and over again. Mm. I feel like that is what maybe has always happened in the news cycle. Mm. Maybe I haven't noticed it in that way before. In the mainstream um, music? I, I, in the mainstream Yes, yes abso- okay. absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and, and, and by its kind of like its peripheral extensions in social media, mm-hmm. because mainstream mm-hmm. media still sets the agenda more or less. I mean, it really, it, it does, even though there's, it's a cacophony of noise, mm-hmm. really the, the narrative push still comes from legacy media outlets. So mm-hmm. in, in, in that way, and maybe it's always happened that way. I, you know, I've, um, I have certainly uh, entertained that notion of late, mm-hmm, but it mm-hmm. does seem to me that what we are dealing with in, in, in this captures what I'm saying is that you're not wrong. That might cause me to defend a person I would not otherwise be inclined to defend mm. um, and, and cause me to take up a position I would not otherwise be inclined to do. But what I see is a parent calling out one kid mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And Seth, you are not the, the guiltiest a party of that. Like you and I have conversations all the time. You see points, you trade points. It's not, but oftentimes in our conversations, it drifts in that direction because we both end up feeling like we have to, to champion our, our preferences, like maybe not even our, 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 our deeply held commitments. Right. I mean, we're a lot of times we're not even really arguing about that exactly. It's more just like, eh, I kind of like the spicy mustard and I, I kind of like the, you know, the yellow mustard. And sometimes so, you guys don't seem to have a dog in the fight and sometimes you do. And then yeah. you're going to chew that bone until it's gone. <laughs> the, 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 somebody's going to understand what not, you mean. Yeah. The, yes. Yeah, the the COVID thing is not an example of that. I I I feel very invested in that issue. Oh no, absolutely. Um, I'm saying, but I'm saying other things though. You know, along that, it's certainly not always the case. And and I want to say this very briefly. I thought that at the very beginning of the podcast that we were that you felt like Travis. You felt like we all might agree on a particular issue, but that you felt like it was in some cases, to the advantage of people listening to this podcast to have a more b- robust conversation of not what about the other side, but the more complex issues that might be at play yes, at any given sure. yes. conversation. Yes. I, I do, I, I do want to end on this note. Um, I want to I go back to something that um, Judith Butler said at the top of the piece, which we hadn't discussed. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I really want, I want to pose it as a question to y'all because... I'm not completely sure I always agree with this because I get accused of doing the same thing sometimes. She says, uh, she writes, to fight anti-Semitism, we have to know what it is, how best to identify its forms and how to devise strategies for rooting rooting it out. The book falters precisely because it refuses to do so. Instead, it leads elides a number of ethical and historical questions suggesting that we are meant to feel enraged opposition to anti-Semitism at the expense of understanding it. So what I'm accused of sometimes is of not being historical enough. Like when I make an okay. argument um, in, in and, and a lot, I have to admit that for the stuff that I do for hypoallergy, a lot of it is relatively short form writing, like, you know, the mm-hmm. pieces that are a, th- a thousand words, maybe 1500 words. I'm not mm-hmm. doing 3000 word essays right. um, mm-hmm. to sort of set the stage for what Carrie Mae Weems was doing at the Armory last right. month, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do think that when you take on a, an issue like anti-Semitism, though, and you are writing a book, then it is sort of more incumbent on you to be more thoroughly historical. But do you guys? I totally agree with that. But do you guys, Jen? What do you think about that? I agree with that. I agree with Absolutely. that too. I mean, that's the title of the book, right? How to fight it. So, what are we fighting if we don't know what it is? <laughs> yeah, it, seems, <laughs> it seems to be a fairly critical aspect of figuring, right. like, right. oh shit, we just bombed the wrong people. Sorry. Right. Right. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> don't do yeah. it. <laughs> do what? <laughs> that right. thing. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's absolutely fair. Yeah, but for sure. But I mean, I think context matters a lot. I think you, I think Stephen's right. Like, if you write a book and you title it "How to Fight," blah blah blah, you kind of need to, yeah, nail that down. 
Yeah, I do think, I mean, in a sort of to take, if we step, you know, back a little bit and we talk about sort of anti-Semitism in the history of Jews in America, mm. I do think that there is, you know, there is some discomfort in the the diaspora Jewish community with no longer in America being it's hard to describe Jews as a marginalized people in the United States mm. um, in, in 21st century America. Uh, n- not historically, of course, long history of anti-Semitism, history of anti-Semitism in the United States itself. But but Jews in America have have done as a group, if we're identi- identifying, setting themselves as, self, self off as a group in that way, mm-hmm. uh, have had a tremendous amount of success in this country. And so there's got to be some chafing there yeah. with Jewish identity because the yeah. way that, that the Jewish people have identified themselves is a people under threat for thousands of years. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you are no longer a people under threat in a in a in a political uh, unity, when you are actually near, I mean, what is it? Three of the Supreme court justices are, are Jews or something like that. I mean, there's the, it's three, it's, it's substantial. Their contributions to American society are substantial. Mm-hmm. You couldn't really describe them as a marginalized people in 21st century America. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of Jews very, very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they know what, I don't think they know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Anymore. I think it's that nuance that, maybe some progressive Jewish folks are asking for more mm. thoughtful engagement yeah. with mm. the critique of Israel, but not just Israel, but also mm. about that, the moments and how we, the framing mm. of it, never, mm-hmm. the, never forget mm-hmm. the, all of the other things. It's like, so like, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some amazing books and amazing speakers out there who are, are engaging these kinds of questions. And I would love to read that I'm stuff sure because true. honestly, I go back to, if you can't critique it, do you really love it? Is it really, yeah. you know? Well, or maybe, or maybe, Stephen, maybe, yeah. maybe, it's, yeah. maybe it's not even about love. Maybe it's like you don't critique it because it's so axiomatic for you. Mm-hmm. It is like gravity that if you mm-hmm. do critique it, you feel like you will maybe upend your entire world. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that maybe that's where the growth is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with something. Um, sorry, one more thing on that, Travis. Like, no, no, it's, please, it's something please. that um, Reggie Wilson said to me years ago. Um, was it was it was it Reggie Wilson? Wait, Reggie Wilson of Histon Field, the choreographer. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm, I maybe uh, I maybe I maybe conflating this with another memory. Maybe something I read actually is something like the, something. It was the idea that the thing that you think is sustaining you is actually the thing that is holding you back. I've heard versions of that yeah. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. I'm not going to add anything. I'm just going to let you guys close on that. Those are those are both two great thoughts. So awesome. Um, oh, you want to tell the uh, listeners so, how we? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So ah. um, the notes are going to be changing. Um, so we felt like they weren't working that well. Um, and so what we're going to do is um, next week we're each going to record basically a coda to this conversation. Um, what we took away from it, maybe what we reconsidered, uh, corrections, uh, aff- reaffirmations, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so same general length as the notes, but we're going to, we're going to stay focused on the conversation that we had together. Um, so it, it'll be a nice segue from week to week. Um, uh, we thank you for listening as always. Thank uh, you. And we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Later. Take care.